right. Because it is good to be here. Let's stand and appreciate the Lord tonight. That'll give you a rest. Some of you hasn't gotten up since you've been here. We want to give you a chance to just stand, and if you didn't stand and give a praise to the Lord, then you can just stand and thank Him right now. Praise the Lord. So let's just appreciate the Lord. Just lay aside everything tonight. Hallelujah. Your afflictions, your tomorrows, your yesterdays, even your todays. And just think good things about Jesus. Let's appreciate it. Hallelujah. Father, I appreciate you. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father. Worship the Lord tonight. Hallelujah. I feel it in your presence. He dwells in praise. Hallelujah. He inhabits. Let's just worship him tonight. Hallelujah. Nothing like worship and praise. Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Ephesians, the fifth chapter. While you're getting that, I'm going to read a portion of Scripture found in Acts the Apostles. You don't have to turn there, just find Ephesians. In the second chapter, in the 14th verse, the Acts of the Apostles, it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. Now, of course, you know what he told us. But I read that just simply to say at the first of it, it says, but Peter standing up with the eleven. And some of the writings of the early church fathers indicate that the early church took that scripture and used it so that the church would, entire congregation, would stand all doing the ministry of the word of God. Praise the Lord. Wouldn't that be bad to live back then? And I told somebody, I thought, that might be wise. 
because you don't sleep standing up as easy as you do sitting down. So maybe they had one on us about that time. All right, reading from Ephesians, the fifth chapter, starting in at the 18th verse. It says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Father, we thank you tonight already for your divine presence. Thank you, Father, for the love that we can share from you and one another. Father, we thank you for the privilege of just being able to know you and your word. Now, Master, we pray tonight that we would handle your word, not deceitfully, but the way you would want it to be handled. We pray the unction and anointing upon it, breathe upon it, Lord, make it mean something, make it become alive. Father, give us that anointing and anoint the ears of those who are in the congregation to listen. We might recognize you, what you desire and what you want from us. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. You may be seated. Thanksgiving season is on us again. And of course, we can go through that. First thing you know, Thanksgiving doesn't mean much anymore because... Christmas supersedes that. I mean, they begin immediately right after the first Christmas to prepare you for the other one. And so Thanksgiving sometimes just goes by, and we don't really realize it's there because emphasis for so long has been placed upon Christmas. But I suppose of all the holidays that we observe nationally, probably the most biblical one would be Thanksgiving. We could probably find that easier in the Bible than we could any of the rest of them. Because we can't find where they observed Easter in the Bible. Of course, the only one time it's ever called Easter, and that's translated Passover. Never has it ever said Easter, it's Passover. And neither can you find any place in the Bible where they celebrated the birth of Jesus Christ. I'm not against any of this, but I'm just saying biblically speaking... The season we're now progressing into is probably the most biblical one there is where you give thanks to God. And oftentimes we forget to give thanks to God. And many times we just give him thanks for some of the things that seem to be good. I have said often that there are scriptures in the Bible that make us feel uncomfortable. Those are scriptures that we hurriedly read past and go on to something else where we can sit comfortably by. Now, in one of these scriptures I read, after I read it, I became very uncomfortable. And for good reason. Because in the 20th verse... It says something that looks like it's just utterly impossible 
for us to concur to. It simply says, giving thanks always for all things. I thought the Apostle Paul has made a lot of statements with the air of impossibility surrounding them, but I think this one must be the height of all folly. But nevertheless, it's Scripture. And there's something about that that makes me want to hurriedly read over it and get to the Scriptures that make me feel real comfortable. But tonight I want to dwell in that air of being uncomfortable, and I would like to make you just as uncomfortable in that Scripture if you're not already. And we're going to sit a while in that. And we're going to see what God, through the Apostle Paul, writing to the Ephesian church, is uh, urging, admonishing, or even commanding us to do. And you want to notice that giving thanks always, not just whenever you feel like it, but always having praise on your lips continually to Almighty God and notice something else for all things. I want you to think about that just for a while, giving thanks always for all things. And then ask yourself the question, how can we reconcile that? Tonight, what can we do with that scripture? I would feel comfortable if I could dwell in the 19th verse, where it says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. It's a good place to dwell there. I feel comfortable. I feel like I have the ability to uh, speak to myself in songs and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody in my heart. And then, of course, I could skip down to the 21st verse where most messages are taken from this chapter. I could feel good about what it says. Maybe not quite as well, but submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And then I could hurriedly read past those two passages. And I like the 19th verse. I don't like the 20th verse at all. And the 21st verse doesn't give me much consolation. But boy, do I love to sit in the 22nd verse. Where it simply says, Wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. I feel good in that. Amen. How about you, husbands? It's a good place to go, isn't it? That's a good scripture. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and then, of course, the ladies would love to live in the 25th verse where it says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Amen. And they can look at us and say, How come you're not giving yourself like Christ did? Amen. 
And of course I do. And we can work, walk ourselves in those scriptures and we can think about the 27th verse where it says, And he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And the 32nd verse says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And there's so many wonderful places to dwell in that chapter. And yet, some way or somehow, we've got to deal with the 20th verse. It still stands up, waving at us and beckoning our attention and saying, What are you going to do with me? Now, you cannot ignore Scripture. You have to face it. You have to look at it. You've got to say, What does it mean? Is it really as impossible as it sounds like it is? And how can I, as a human, even filled with the Spirit, how can I make this scripture applicable to my own life? How in God's name can I give thanks always for all things that happen in my life? And yet, that's exactly what the Word says. Now, I'll tell you just how uncomfortable this made me feel. I know that sometimes the languages from the Greek to the English are interchanged. And so I thought it would be nice if I could just search out and find out if there'd been some changes in this which would make it easier. I found out that it's just exactly like it came from the original Greek. It says exactly what it means and it means exactly what it says. And so I have a choice. Ignore it. Act like it isn't talking to me. It was for the Ephesians. Or else I can look at it squarely in the face and ask God to speak to me about this thing. And this is what I did. I realize it is easy. Whenever the mountaintop experiences are prevalent, when we skip like little lambs over the hilltops and never seem to have a valley. And when we ride the height of the waves at all times. And we sit in heavenly places all the time with Christ Jesus. It's easy to give thanks always for everything that happens in our life. But what about the times when nothing goes right? What about the time when all hell seems to break loose and we, like a frail little ship, is in the midst of an angry ocean? And yet the word of God comes in such times as that and screams out of us and says, Give thanks. And you're saying, How in God's name can I do that? Are you that sadistic God that this is what you're commanding me to do? I don't know if anybody ever talks to God like that or not, but the only way I can get answers from him is to talk to him about it and tell him exactly how I feel and tell him I'm tired of ignoring scriptures. I'm tired of not knowing what the answer is. I want to hang on to this until I find out what it is. But what about times when you're forced to look a loved one in the face and know you're going to have to give them up. 
and can't see any reason for that at all and God's voice still screams out as if in an emergency of the hour and says give thanks and suddenly we're choked suddenly we look up tears streaming down our face a heart that is saddened and sometimes bitterness creeps in and we say God I can't and yet the apostle Paul is urging demanding commanding that we be observant of what God has to say in other words God wants your praise and God wants your thanksgiving whether you're walking through the deepest valley of hell or whether you're standing on a mountaintop he wants praise from these human lips and he's asking that we give it standing sometimes and watching loved ones wheel them away in a casket throw some dirt on them in the ground and you leave them there and you're hurting inside and you're lonely and you're desperate and you don't know which way to turn and you're faced with this scripture the 20th verse of the 5th chapter of Hebrews that simply says give thanks even in this give thanks I'm sure Brother Dale and Sister Mary Lou have faced times when they wondered what in God's name is God trying to do to us after all of our prayers after all of our believing, after all that we've tried to do, and heaven seems sealed up, and still God says, give thanks in all things, whatever, regardless of what it is. Open your lips and give thanks to me. Amen. And you say, how can this be? Well, the call to gratitude to God is everywhere in the Scripture. The Bible tells us, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And to have the mind of Christ is to have a thankful mind. Whenever we study the gratitude of Christ, it's a fruitful study of itself. He thanked God on occasions. Whenever everything was going fine and multitudes was following him, he was uh, feeding them with fishes and loaves. They brought to him the deaf, and he unstopped their ears. Hallelujah. He brought to them the blind, and he opened them, and the lepers, and they were cleansed. And he even brought the dead to him, and they were raised again to life. It was easy for them to thank God, and it was easy for Jesus in the flesh to give honor to that which gave him that power. But what about the times? When he stood there and the multitudes had deserted him. And he looked at his trusted disciples and he said, Will you two go away? And finally completely deserted. He still gave thanks. In other words, what I'm trying to say tonight, how we react in times like this, we have to find out what Christ did. I'm talking about as to his humanity. I know he was all God. And I also know he was all man. But I cannot identify with him all God. Is that all right? I know he's all God, but I can't make the identification. The only way I can identify with him is to know that he's all human just like I am. And then I make that identity. 
I'm going to read a passage of Scripture before we go any farther. That's found in 1 Peter, I think it's 2 and 21. Simply says, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. In other words, to find out how we handle this, and what we should do then, we follow the walkings of Jesus Christ. I want to point you to some scriptures that has some very, very valuable meaning. Now if we're not careful, we'll use these scriptures for communion. Whenever we take that little cup of grape juice or wine, and we take that little wafer, whatever it is, and we put all of this on this act of communion. But friend, it goes farther, deeper than that. In these scriptures I'm going to read, found in St. Luke, the 22nd chapter, we can find how Christ answered this question that the Apostle Paul posed to us or this command. I want to start reading at the 17th verse. 22nd chapter of St. Luke. And says, And he took the cup and gave thanks, and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you that I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and brake it, and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup, after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which was shed for you. Now after we read that, what, what that scripture, what is that scripture saying to us? Simply says he took the cup and he gave thanks. And he took bread. And he gave thanks. I want you to listen closely tonight as he explains what he's going to endure. As he explains to us what the cup is, he explains to us what the bread is, and remembering all the time when he took that, he knew what it represented. He knew what he was going to undergo, and still in spite of that, he looked up, raised his hands and heart to heaven, and gave thanks. I want you to consider a human body, just like yours and mine. Subject to the passions of humanity, subject to the same desires and innate characteristics, and he finds his final days are coming to a close. He's aware that the time which he was born for is almost upon him. And he finds his way with his closest disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane. And there he leaves his disciples, goes a little ways, and begins to agonize with God. Human flesh recognizing what was going to have to take place and knowing that this body symbolically with the bread was going to be broken. Knowing that 
before it was all done, this body he's talking about, which is his place, was going to be mutilated and wasn't even going to look like a human being. And he'd already give thanks to God for a broken body. Hallelujah. What a Savior. I said, what a Savior tonight had realized what was going through, and he suffered in agony. He cried, he prayed for himself, for strength to endure. And then he began the prayer of intercession as he prayed for us. Angels came down and strengthened that body. The Bible says he prayed till great drops of sweat like blood began to run down. From his face in utter agony, this body inside was being torn apart as he writhed and agonized in prayer that he might be able to endure the cross and despise the shame and in the final analysis, purchase salvation for humanity. And he knew the suffering. And he took the bread and broke it knowing this was his body, symbolic of it. And he looked up to God in heaven and that which indwelt him. I'm talking about flesh, which was the Son. And he gave thanks to God. After spending a night in agonizing prayer, in his weakened condition, he finds soldiers after him. They take him and keep him up all night, running from one court to another, exhausted, exasperated. Finally, they tie him to the post, lacerate his back to ribbons, till there's not one single solitary piece of flesh that's left untouched. He's enduring. And while he... was he that he fell under the load and still giving thanks to God for allowing him to be who he was because he's so farther than his own selfish motives and so farther than just the present he saw a future and that future included you and it included me tonight finally the end Drove five eight spikes in his hands and in his feet. Finally plunged that spear. There was that broken body. Psalms describes that. It tells you what torment it underwent. It talked about all those things that he was in this human body of his. He was buffeted, he was spit upon, finally stripped of the last ounce of dignity that he had as they stripped his clothing from him and left him like this for the crowd to gaze upon. And yet, the Bible says that flesh, that human part of that great omnipresent Jehovah God looked up and he simply said, Thank you, my God for allowing me to become the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He gave thanks in such hours of agony. Broke 
bread and gave thanks to God and he said this is my body which is going to be broken and mutilated for you and then he says this cup is my blood which was shed for you blood deduced from the capillaries and veins has the skin uh, of the skin as the cat of nine tails cut deeper and deeper across his back blood that spurted from the arteries from the balls of lead that dug deeper and deeper Blood that flowed from the scalp area when the crown of thorns was pushed tight down upon his head. Blood that flowed from his hands and from his feet and finally from his side. And the Bible says when that spear was plunged there, immediately there came out blood and water. We've said this often, but let's say it again. Hebrews 9.22 says there is a divine decree that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. In other words, that seems clear to me that the shedding of blood is the remission of sins. Without it, there is none. Hallelujah. Friend, listen. Let me just get down on this a little bit. We've glorified God. We've jumped with joy and shouted over the power of the Holy Ghost, and that's good. We've talked about the gifts of the Spirit and what's needed in our church, and that's good. And friend, I think before all of that, there needs to be another trip to that old rugged cross and realize the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin and from all iniquity and get another taste of what it's like. Hallelujah. Thank God for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think sometimes the church would fare better if they'd turn around and visit the cross of Christ one more time and get our eyes on actually what is needed within our heart. And that's a divine decree. There has to be the shedding, pure, untainted blood. And every standing there in Jesus picks up that cup. All we argue about what was in it. Was that real wine? Or was that grape juice? My God. To get the deeper meaning of that, it makes very little difference as long as we recognize that this was identifying His blood to us. And He was trying to tell them and us that in this was representative of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ which was shed for all mankind. And we would soon forget our petty arguments about what it is one time we recognize and identify ourselves with what it symbolizes. I watched churches be divided. Saints argue and fuss and fight in bitterness simply because one serves pure wine and the other serves grape juice and one says it means this and that. I'm sure Jesus didn't write that for us to argue about. I think primarily what he was getting over to us had he in his flesh had the abilities in his worst hours to give thanks to God Almighty for everything that happened in his life. Regardless of what it was. From the lowest valley to the highest mountaintop mind of this Christ of Calvary was always communing with that which indwelt him.
And there's a divine decree, it stands. That's God's decree, it's not mine. It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And Christ, our Savior, realized that day when he was handing that out, said, you drink, this is my blood, symbolic of you recognizing what I've done for you. Symbolic of you recognizing that if I hadn't done what I'd done, you would still be in your sins. And finally, crying out that rings out to you and I tonight, that has such a reality to it, and sometimes it seems so alien to us, it seems so foreign to us. We don't seem to realize what it means. As he stood there that day, realizing the time was going to come when his blood would flow from his body, life-giving blood, sustaining him, and finally would be emptied of that. And he would dismiss his spirit. All at the same time, Matthew 26, he says against that divine decree, comes the voice of the Master ringing down 2,000 years and lighting upon every ear that'll hear that says, this is my blood which was shed for the remission of sins. I've cleared it with God. I've taken care of your infirmities and your sicknesses and your sins and your diseases of the soul. I have handled that. What he was actually saying was, thank you. Thank you, God, for the privilege of giving my untainted, sinless blood for your creation. Thank you for allowing me to be part of your plan. And thank you for giving me the strength to be able to fulfill my part of the plan. I'm sure he looked down while the Roman soldiers were throwing dice for his seamless garments. Anybody else would have cursed. Anybody else would have lost heart. Anybody else would have failed, but not Christ. Not our Savior. Remember, he was human like you. There was one difference maybe between he and us and his mind and his spirit had already been given over to God. He counted himself as nothing. And what God wanted out of him was everything that he ever lived for and everything he ever died for. And he was fulfilling this scripture as he was giving thanks always. Not just in the good times, but in the bad times. Not just on the mountaintops, but in the valleys. Not just when life flowed through his veins, and even when the death crows began to sound, he was saying, thank you. Then he looked down upon these ungodly, sinful people. And he says, Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to die for them that has done me so much hurt. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy God, for allowing me finally to dismiss my spirit. And after 4,000 years, bring redemption to all mankind. Hallelujah. 
put those blood-stained garments, walked that last mile, suffered, bled, died, and raised his hand and his heart in thanksgiving to Almighty God. He took the cup and he gave thanks. And he took the bread and he gave thanks. I'm wondering tonight, could language be any plainer than this, says giving thanks always in all things. Having the ability to realize that when we were called and bought with a price and cleansed by his precious blood and filled with the power of the Holy Ghost that we became part of his plan. That God actually chose us to walk in his deed in the sin-cursed world and give us the gospel to move from our hearts and our mouths. And we are not above our master. If he had to suffer cursings and ridicule and all of these things done to him and heaped upon him, how much more should we expect once we leave these doors and walk out into this world? Our saints, listen, if some way we could get close enough to God and give our will enough over to God for us to realize that whatever is happening to us is for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. And then look up to God and say, thank you for this valley I have to walk through. When I come out of it, I'm going to be stronger than I was when I went in it. Instead of whining, complaining, moaning our feet like some spoiled child, thinking that God owed to us deliverance instead of recognizing, hey, look, as long as I'm skipping on the mountains, nobody watches me. As long as I'm sitting in heavenly places with just Christ Jesus and me, nobody knows. But the world can identify with us just like we identified with Jesus. When they see that we are subject to the same things they are and we react in a different way with giving thanks to God, it captivates the attention of individuals. And not only isn't it example in outside, there's something about trusting God in the dark night of the soul, as I like to call it, that when we see the sunlight, there's something about that that makes us grow just a little bit more and makes us put on a little bit more spiritual weight and makes our faith greater than ever before and we sink our teeth into the Word of God and realize that whatever He calls upon us to do, we'll have the abilities to do it. And when we get to that place, we will really give him thanks. Not just thanks for our good life. Not just thanks because this day was perfect. Well, I've heard people say it. I just really thank God because the sun shined today. That's good. I'm glad the sun shines. But one of these times we need to stand up 
Say, I thank God that he's God in the midnight hours when I can't hear him, when I can't see him, and when I can't feel him. I thank God. You know what that does to us? That strips away everything else. That strips away our emotions that we depend on. That strips away the miracles that we are forced sometimes to live on. That, that strips away everything and takes everything away from us but this Word of God. And it makes us get into that and sink our teeth in it and say, Thank God, because the Bible says what it does, and I'm believing that. It doesn't look like it makes rhyme or reason for me too, but I'm believing it because the Bible says it. And that's why a lot of things happen in our life. It's the chases to the Word. Get us inside because one of these days there's going to come a time in your life and mine it hasn't already. I think we, I don't know why we're dwelling in all of this so much. But I know there's a reason. There's going to come a time when we're not going to feel anything, not going to touch anything, not going to get any deliverance anyplace else, but we'll always find it in here. If we look for it, it's going to be there. Amen. And when everything else has faltered and failed, the Word of God still standeth sure and steadfast. You can always live on the Word. All right? One of these days, in closing, when individuals has pinned their hopes upon emotions and lived by the emotional highs or lows, and their God, depending on whether they was high, he was a big God, and if they were low, he was a little God. And one of these days, there'll be nothing there. One of these days, not even the Holy Ghost that indwells us is going to stir in us or speak out of us. And then, you have this. Not only the written word, but you have that divine word that dwells in us and you've got to believe he's there. He doesn't take his flight when things go bad. He's still there. I think what God is wanting more than anything else is for us to stay in that scripture and get by it and stay there until we have reconciled that scripture to ourselves and know it means us giving thanks always from the start of your day during your day laying down on your bed at night even if things have been cockeyed and went haywire all day lay down on your bed and look up to God say thank you Jesus for calling me and then it says for all things because for a Christian things that happen in our life is for a benefit to you or for somebody else it's beneficial 
And if we could think of our lives like that. It's, it's hard, I know, because the devil keeps telling us, you don't amount to anything. Who are you anyway? You've never really ever done anything. You're just cowered back in fear and you don't have the abilities to talk and, and all of this and he puts you down. And he make you think, well, what, what have I done? And all the time, it hasn't been the devil that sent you through there. It's been God. He wants to see how well you react under pressure. Because there's going to be a lot of pressure, a lot more than we've seen today, a lot more we've seen yesterday to come upon us. We're going to be a gazing stock, sometimes a laughing stock. Jesus was. Do you think they really saw what they was doing to him? They didn't know who he was. The Bible says if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't even know who he was. And they didn't care who he was. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. They tortured him. And they crucified him. And in all these things, he'd already said it. This is my body. It's broken. It's going to be. I give thanks. This is my blood. It's going to flow from my veins. Life-giving source. I'm giving it. Thank you for the privilege of doing this. Now, what he was actually saying in summing it all up was, thank you, God, for being a part of your plan. Now, I realize tonight that in when comparing what we are and who we are with Christ Jesus, we're not going to be called upon to shed our life's blood for somebody else, it would be of no value. But just as Jesus had a part in the plan of Almighty God, so do you tonight. Amen. And that means suffering, holding on to God, hopeless times, holding on to God, hours of loneliness, holding on to God, and not just holding on to Him, giving him thanks for allowing you to be part of his great plan. You pay a part. You play a part. Someplace, some way, you have a part of this. And if we could just get the devil out of the way long enough to look up and say, God, I've got a part of your great redemption plan. My part I play is part of the body realize that hold your head up high throw your chest back and walk out into the world believing God let's stand Thanksgiving day is soon I think maybe I'm going to do a little bit different than I've usually done I think I'm just going to quit trying to figure out some good things to thank God for what I termed good in my life. I'm going to start thanking him for everything that's happened in my life. It's always been hard for me to thank him for eight years of suffering. But I have found that that's been a vital part of my communion with God. 
I've found that if I've got strength at all, I can look back over those eight years walking through them knowing that God was there. Probably the most growth in my life that I've ever had. And I'm going to give him thanks for that. And it's been hard for me to give him thanks for taking me out of a good, stable, large church and putting my feet in the road and taking away my security. Something that I've worked for 20 years to get and got it. And yet God wouldn't let me alone. I'm, I'm being open and honest. It's been hard for me to thank him for that. I've been obedient to him. But it's been hard for me to thank him for that. Been hard for me to thank him for separating me from my children. That was an integral part of my life for years. I lived right around me. And my grandchildren that are scattered every place else. It's hard for me to thank God for what happened. But when I survey what he's done and what he wants out of me and God only knows where he's going next and you don't know either what's going to happen in your life. Someplace, sometime, beginning tonight, take those things that's been so hard for you to reconcile and look up to God and thank him for that. Because someplace, sometime in your life, you're going to know that this has been probably the most important spiritual enlightenment you've ever had. Wash to Jesus. Magicians would come. I'm going to ask you in just a minute to come up here. Hallelujah. And stand right here as close to one another as we can. I'm beginning tonight. Start thanking Him for His broken body and for His shed blood and for where He's brought us from, where we could have been, and for the valleys and for the hard times, for the desperate hours lonely moments when we reached out a trembling hand for him and he wasn't there can we find it within us to give thanks always in all things how can I thank him for the sickness that has invaded my body how can I thank him for the aging process that's in my life how can I thank him for the sickness that's in my family? You don't thank him for the sickness. You thank him for being the Christ of Calvary. And thank him for being with you and taking care of all of your problems his way. Can you come? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just pray. Hallelujah.